Fantastic as always. Thank you guys. It's so good to have you. Take your Bibles and turn to Genesis 11. I just got to speak to another whole room full of uh, potential new members here that are up at Life at Grace, and um, they're just getting going. If you want to go, you're more than welcome, but um, it's, it's awesome what God is doing. I was able to go out the hall between services. I had gone to the restroom and, and chatting with some folks over here, and a young man and his mother and father walk out of our counseling room, 11 years old, and uh, he had already given his life to Jesus, but he was following through. He's going to be baptized soon. This past week, we celebrated and recorded two baptisms at school, two middle school young ladies, and we're going to be showing you that soon uh, in a few weeks. Every week, salvation and transformation and life change, and we couldn't be happier with what the good Lord is doing at his church. So thank you for being a part of it. Um, We are looking at this Genesis Factor Fiction series. I want to focus on a particular verse this week and next week as I finish chapter 11 and get into chapter 12. And so you guys just say this with me. This is important because it affects us to this day. And it was God speaking to a man named Abram who of course would later be renamed Abraham, the father of Judaism, Christianity, and even considered the father of Islam, although they took some radical turns. But uh, we'll, we'll unpack this over the next little bit. So you guys say Genesis 12, 3 with me this morning. You ready? I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now, when you, when you read that, in you, in this guy God's talking to, in this one man, all the families of the earth will be blessed. How is that possible? There's no time stamp on that. There was no in your day while you're alive. No, it really means legacy. Something's going to happen in you so powerful and so profound that every family on earth could receive the blessing of that That's pretty amazing to me. We're going to unpack that starting today. And last week we looked at the pitfalls of pride. You remember the pride causes us to crave the recognition of others before uh, more than a real relationship with God. We said, where is your identity? What are you putting your stock in? Because if it was taken tomorrow, how would you fare? How would you feel? And then God scatters the proud and brings them down, but God exalts the humble. We see patterns of this in the Bible and in life over and over and over. So I want you to think about what's happened, okay? The wickedness of man is multiplied over the face of the earth, and God said, I will judge man, but he saves one man, his three sons, wife, daughters-in-law. In this post-Diluvian world, as they come out, God says scatter, but they don't scatter. They gather in one little place. They try to build a tower and make a name for themselves. God said, "Uh uh-uh, that's not what I told you to do. I told you to fill the earth and subdue it. You're not doing that. You're not having dominion. And God comes down and scatters them, confuses their language. And so now they're spread all out, and God says, I'm going to do something special through one line. His name was Shem, Shem, Hem, Japheth. And through this man Shem, I'm going to bring a special line. And from that family tree that begins to expand, I'm going to do something that will bless the entire world. That will literally change the universe. I'm going to do something. But today, I want to talk about it in the context of this theme. God bless you. Now, when I just say, God bless you, what's the first thing that comes to mind when you hear the phrase, God bless you? (laughs) Yeah, sneeze right? You might 
be a little fancy and say Gesundheit or to your health or something, but the reality is most of us hear that phrase in the context of you sneezed, God bless you. It's a polite thing to say. My fear is that we have missed the meaning of the word blessed or blessing, and it's become a byword, and it's a funny thing now. Even our own group here, our grace group, we kind of joke around about blessing everywhere. You know, hashtag blessing, and you see blessing on this and blessing on that, and bless you, my friend, and blah, 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 blah. And nobody seems to know what it really means. And yet right here in the text, God is going to say, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless those who bless you. I'm going to curse those who curse you. Because the word actually can go both ways, to the good and to the bad. But what does it mean? I mean, here's the reality, guys. I want God to bless you. So when I put that title out, I really do want God to bless you. I want God to bless me. I want God to bless my family, my sweet Cindy, our daughters, our sons-in-law, our son, our grandkids, and the list goes on. I want God to bless Grace Baptist Church and Grace Christian Academy, and I believe if you know Jesus, you do too. I want God's blessings, but what does it mean? Well, a blessing, according to Merriam-Webster's Collegiate Dictionary, is a thing conducive to happiness or welfare. But since our dictionaries don't even know the difference between men, women, boys, and girls, we should go beyond the dictionary, right? And in the Bible, there are several words that translate blessing or bless. The word used in our text today is the first word of the Bible used, and it is the word barak. Yes, just like the president's name was spelled, B-A-R-A-K, barak. Barak, though, in the Hebrew is deeper than what we just read. It's more, uh, it not only goes deeper, but it goes wider. God said in Genesis 1:22, the very first time the word blessed was used, to the sea creatures and the birds, I will bless you. And what he was saying there was, I'm going to have you be fruitful and multiply. You are going to populate this beautiful place I have created. Then he tells Adam and Eve in Genesis 1:28, I'm blessing you to have dominion over creation. People ask me things, especially this weekend, like Earth Day. Should Christians celebrate Earth Day? Absolutely. You don't need to hug trees, by the way. You don't need to rub crystals. But to get out and say, I'm going to be a good steward of this creation is a beautiful thing. One of our guys here is a mayor of a local town, and he took a crew, and they cleaned up, and that's very commendable. I think it's a beautiful thing for believers to say, we are called to take care of this creation. I was trying to help control the turkey population yesterday, taking care of God's creation and my family. I think it's very important for us to take care of the creation, to fill the earth and subdue it to have dominion over it, and it is a blessing from God. God here in our text today goes to a man named Abram, and he says, I'm going to bless you with a land. We call it the promised land. It's the land of Canaan. It's the land we went to, my fellow travelers to the holy land. That's what we call the holy land today. And so the blessings are associated with happiness and welfare for Abram and those to come. But when we really take the Old and New Testament concepts of blessing, it means to be set apart for that which brings happiness, contentment, deep-seated joy. It is a sign of God's favor, or it could be a declaration of God's inherent goodness. So if I said, you said to me, Pastor, how are you? And I said, man, I'm blessed. Or I'm blessed more than I deserve. What I'm saying is God's favor is on me. I didn't say perfect. I didn't say there weren't troubles or, or challenges. But God has been so good. And so ultimately the blessing we enjoy is life and forgiveness through God's Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ. And the material blessings we have day to day are temporary. 
but the spiritual blessings become eternal through the Lord Jesus. And so when we travel, we'll be going to Brazil in a few weeks, and having been in a number of places where people are at the very lowest of low in, in sense of poverty, when they're brothers and sisters in Christ, what's always amazed me is they tend to talk about their blessings more than we do. When you really get to talk to these folks that live on next to nothing, many of whom live on less than what we would consider a dollar, what our equivalent would be a dollar a day. Imagine that. You're living on less than a dollar a day. And yet they feel overwhelmingly blessed because they're not putting the blessing in anything that is temporal. It's I have a relationship with the God who made me. I walk by faith so that I know my tears today will be joy tomorrow. I know that the suffering of this present age will not compare to the glory that is coming. Paul would say things like this. I know that Paul would say the chains around my feet will usher in golden chains around my neck. I realize this. This is temporal, but blessing is eternal. And so I really want us to focus on this, and I'll give you my definition of blessing for what it's worth. I've written it like this. Non-circumstantial happiness, abiding contentment and joy. No matter what's going on around me, no matter what's happening in the moment, I can be blessed by God. I am blessed by God. The very fact that I'm here today, standing, breathing, heart is beating, seeing you, worshiping together, this very fact means I am blessed beyond measure. How will God bless this one man, his family, and through them, all of us? Stand with me as we honor the reading of God's Word. We'll get to the end of, we're going to kind of skip the quick genealogy of Shem, but it looks like we're going to have a story about a guy named Terah, or Terah. I'll just, I'll give you sort of the easy anglicized readings of the names. Uh, we, don't, we don't know exactly how they were pronounced anyway, it doesn't matter, but this is a genealogy of Terah. Terah begot three sons, now watch, Abram, Nahor, Haran. Now Haran, or Haran, is also the name of a place. Don't get confused. The text is quite confusing if you're reading it for the first time or the first time in a long time. So he's got three sons. Haran, the third of those, died. But he died before his father in their native land. What was the native land? Ur of the Chaldeans. Okay. Then Abram and Nahor took wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarah. Sarah means my princess. Later she's renamed Sarah with an H on the end. And most scholars say it just means something like still princess. Maybe not my princess, but more generally princess. Something like that. And so Abraham takes Sarah and the name of Nahor's wife, Milcah, and the daughter of, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah, and the father of Iscah. Now, I know that's starting to get a little confusing, but notice what the text does immediately. It focuses on one. But Sarah was barren. She had no child. And Terah, the father of all of these, took his son Abram and his grandson Lot. Because remember, Haran begot Lot before he died. So he's taken Abram and Abram's nephew... Terah's grandson, the son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law, Sarah, his son, Abram's wife. And they went out with them from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to the land of Canaan. Whoa, it looks like they're making a journey to the promised land. But nope, they don't. They come to the city named Haran, and they dwelt there. They stopped. They didn't go all the way. Why did they not go all the way? Well, I think it's going to be obvious later that Terah didn't know and worship the one true God. 
but they stopped. They didn't go to the promised land. So the days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. So in other words, now he lived a lot less time than the early patriarchs, but the lifespans are going to decrease rapidly from here. And so now the story shifts from Terah, and it says, Now the Lord had said to Abram, one son of Terah, Get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house to a land I will show you. This is where it gets crazy. I will make you a great nation. How many kids Abraham, Abram have at this point? How many kids? You know how old he is? He's 75. I read ahead, I know, because I'm preaching next week. 75. <laughs> it says it in verse 4. But he says here, I will make you a great nation. God said, I will bless you and make your name great. See, there's nothing wrong with having a great name as long as God does it. And you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you. And I will curse him who curses you. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Let's pray. Lord, what a powerful passage of Scripture. I know you've used it in my time and in my life many times. But I'm praying today you're going to use it in others' lives as well. I'm praying that we're going to really have eyes to see and ears to hear. That you are making a promise that lasts to this very day. And for all time. And I pray that we would understand in the beginnings of our interactions with this man named Abram that he is an incredible example for us, but he is a flawed example. And the only flawless one is the Lord Jesus who would come from the line of Abram. So I pray that you would now teach us by your word and spirit, help us to apply your truth in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, guys, be seated. If you have a listening guide, take that out, your grace notes, and write these things down, a few truths related to God's blessings. God's blessings often come through unlikely people in impossible circumstances. I have a pattern when I write sermons, and I, I read it, read it, read it, read it, read it, often read it in the original language and go back and read other versions, and then I try to give you these points, these skeletal points, before I ever crack a book, commentary. I don't listen to other people preach on a text. I'm afraid I would be too affected and impacted by that, and I don't want to take credit for another man's thing, just like you shouldn't be downloading that chat bot and letting it write your papers. It's wrong. Steve it's plagiarizing be original you don't want to do that you want to wrestle with God and spend time in the word and when I'm wrestling with the Lord in these verses 27 to 32 what I'm seeing is a shock moment right at 30 man I stop reading and I go whoa I've already read this story right I've read all the way to the end of the book many of you have too I know what happens but I'm shocked that God starts on this guy Terah and his three sons and then he picks out this very strange pair to build the great nations of the world. It seems very odd to me. Terah is the guy chosen, and then after him, Abram. But Terah wasn't the greatest of dudes. You say, how do you know that? Joshua 24, 2. You've got to read other parts of the book. In Joshua 24, 2, it says, long ago, your, this is Joshua speaking, long ago your ancestors, including Terah, the father of Abraham and Nahor, lived beyond the Euphrates River and worshipped other gods. What happened post-Babel is a spreading of the world and a beginning of world culture in different language, but almost all of those around the world became polytheistic. In fact, most scholars tell us Abram, i.e. Abraham, is the first recorded monotheist in all of human history. Now, I think if we go back, in all fairness... We know that Abel did worship the one true and living God. We know that Shem worshiped God. We know that Noah worshiped God. But as far as putting it down and making it a faith, 
what you might say today is a religion, that really does start right here. It really starts with this guy. His daddy did not worship the one true and living God. But they lived in an area named Ur, Ur of the Chaldeans. It is a significant, prosperous city, beautiful homes, scholarly people. Archaeologists have confirmed Ur of the Chaldeans had a population of about a quarter million people at the time, a very large city of antiquity, and it was booming. Canaan, the land of Canaan, the promise, not so much. Very primitive We have proof that it wasn't a great place to go. So you're going to leave this beautiful place for kind of an armpit place. I mean, that's what's going on here. But Terah's not the one that's going to do it. He never makes it. And so they're going to move from Ur to Haran, maybe thinking, okay, we're heading toward the promised land, but it doesn't happen because the patriarch dies. And right in the middle of it, we get the weirdest of all verses to me. Verse 30, but Sarah was barren. (laughs) Okay. So if I'm looking at this list, and I know the promise that God's about to make to a guy named Abram in 1, 2, and 3 of chapter 12, who is the least likely woman of all of these to become the mother of a chosen people? Who is the least likely woman to give birth to a great people group? She's, by the way, I know men can have kids at 75. Just talk to Billy Joel. He's almost there. Uh, But women, she was 65. She's about 10 years his younger. She's 65. This seems crazy to me. And yet it's saying that she's chosen. I mean, she's surely the most least likely lady. It's a seemingly impossible circumstance. She's barren. And if it were not enough, the writer said, oh, by the way, just so you get what I'm getting at, she has no children. You're going to be a great nation. You're going to populate. And and all the families of the earth will be like you. Later, God would say it will be as the sands of the seashore, the stars of the heavens. And, and, and Abram's got to be thinking, uh, no kids, God. And how many years would it be before God gives him the son of promise? 25 more years. 25 more years he's got to wait? Are you kidding me? So no word of God is unimportant. God is setting us up to see that he's about to build something great from the most unlikely place. Abram. He had no merit on his own. He's a citizen of an idolatrous city. Ur of the Chaldeans did not worship God. God had not yet revealed himself fully to him. If he had not revealed him, if he, if he died right here in chapter 11, he would have surely died an unbeliever. But from a human point of view, God's choice of Abram and Sarah, who had no children, was a foolish one. But ultimately, God uses foolish people and foolish things. Look, God chooses Look at 1 Corinthians 1.27. I've reworded it a little. God chooses and uses the weak and foolish things of the world to confound the wise, to confuse the wise. Or at least it means those who are wise in their own mind. Some translations say to shame the wise or the strong. Gives me strength and hope. It's like my dear friend and fellow worshiper. He was in the first service. He was singing here. Bob Bell. Everybody know Bob Bell? Bob Bell's been a local radio personality sharing Jesus on the air for over 30 years. And Bob Bell loves to say, if God can speak through a donkey, God can speak through Bob Bell. Amen. Amen. I confirmed to Bob this morning. I love Bob. Bob Bell's got a face made for radio. Praise God. I love my friend. Bob's a great man of God. And here's the thing. He's right. If God can work through a donkey, he can work through you or me or anybody. I mean, think about who God chooses and uses. God chose Hannah. Hannah, whose name means grace. Hannah was barren, much like Sarah. She cried out to God for a child but had none. But God would bless her and give her the great prophet Samuel, who would anoint Israel's first king, Saul, and later David. 
he would, it, that would lead to David. Think about this. You have a lady named Elizabeth, very advanced in years, no children, but God would birth through her and her husband, the priest Zechariah, a man named John, John the Baptist. John the Baptist would be the forerunner of Christ. Think about this. A teenager, betrothed yet not married, a virgin who's never known a man, and God by his Holy Spirit would overshadow her, and God would bring through her womb the Savior of all the world, the Lord Jesus Christ. God works in the most unusual ways. And when Mary very honestly said, uh, Mr. Gabriel, how will this be? I've never even known a man. As he's explaining to her how she will be overshadowed with the Holy Spirit, and I still don't quite understand all of that, but by faith I believe it happened. And then he says, for with God, Gabriel, for with God nothing will be impossible. That's a beautiful realization and, and think about this, the same thing may be said of cursings and punishments as said of blessings. God uses people sometimes or allows things to happen like a guy named Achan in the camp of Joshua in Joshua 7 before Jericho would fall. Remember Achan took some things and Achan was punished and the people of God were punished. 36 men lost their lives and his whole family paid the price with their lives because Achan disobeyed God. Cursings and blessings can come quite quickly if we're walking with the Lord or if we're not. And it looks like God is setting us up to follow a man named Terah, T-E-R-A-H, Terah, Terah. But God doesn't do that. God switches gears and says, no, 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 it's not about him. It's about, it's about a guy named Abram, exalted father, who I will rename Abraham father of a multitude. I will rename him before he has a child. It's an incredible thing. Three world religions come from this man. Three world faiths. In fact, when we think of Judaism, Christianity, and Islam, they all claim Father Abraham as the starter of their monotheistic faith. It's fascinating that what makes Abraham important to the Bible student is, is not just the reverence in which he was held. Listen to what the National Geographic once expressed. Now, National Geographic is not a bastion of conservative Christian thought. But National Geographic said this, quote, Abraham the patriarch conceived a great and simple idea, the idea of a single almighty God. The problem is National Geographic said Abraham conceived the idea. No. Abraham received the idea. Abraham was the recipient of God's revelation. Go to this land and I will, I will, I will, I will. God said, I will do something great. Abram didn't conceive of it. Abram received the gift of God, which is faith. And Abram's importance is not found in the fact that he is today a prime model of saving faith. He is. When we cycle back to Hebrews later this year, we're going to learn a lot more about his faith. But Abram is important from Genesis all the way through the Bible because God had a plan for the entire world and the very universe through him. I don't read Matthew Henry a lot, but I did read his old commentary for this message, and he said, quote, From henceforward, Abram and his seed are almost the only subject of the history in the Bible. Do you realize that? God is going to take this wide world, and he's going to narrow down to one family. Because you know his sons, Abram had Isaac, Isaac had Jacob, Jacob wrestled with God, renamed Israel. He has 12 sons, 12 tribes of Israel. And the rest of the Bible, primarily, 
is about God's interaction with the chosen people and the nations around them, primarily. What an unlikely figure and a seemingly impossible situation. So let me ask you a question, church. What is impossible for God? Nothing. In 1996, Cindy and I had moved back to North Carolina from our little one-bedroom apartment in Williamsburg. I was finishing a degree in music, scheduled to take over. I was already working with my father, so much so that he put a a desk in his office. I was going to be, as the only child, taking over the two businesses in time. He was going to teach me, and I was going to learn more than I had as a child, of course. And so uh, that was the schedule, and yet God was working in my heart, and I couldn't explain the voracious appetite God gave me for Scripture. I hated to read before that. I'll be very honest with you. I'm glad they didn't have chat GPT or GXR or whatever it's called, chat GPT. I'm glad they didn't have it when I was a kid. I'd have used it because Lord knows I made it through high school on Cliff's Notes. I'm going to just tell you all the truth right here. If my English teachers are watching, bless you, thank you for the good grades. So anyway, uh, I just was wrestling with God, wrestling with God, wrestling with God. After finishing a summer camp, I helped co-lead doing the music and some Bible teaching at Myrtle Beach, that bastion of Christian conservatism, Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. I'm driving back behind several um, charter buses they rented. I had my music equipment and stuff, and I'm wrestling with God. I've been wrestling for two years, but now it's coming to a head. And I begin to think back through guys like Abram, who's a dirty, rotten liar. We're going to see it in a couple weeks. Actually, next week. We're going to see it real quick. I mean, just like Noah. Noah, you save all these people, and then you're drunk in your tent. Come on, dude. Abram, dirty, rotten liar, pants on fire. It's bad. I thought God used Abram. God used David, murdering adulterer. God used Paul. God used Peter, who denied him. God used a donkey. Maybe God is calling me, but God, but God, but God. And I remember this wrestling match in the car. I shouldn't have even been driving because I was crying so hard. Uh, I can't. I don't know enough. I've done too many things wrong. The excuses went on and on and on because at that time, Cindy was far more in tune with the Lord than me. But um, I was learning and growing and being convicted in the study of the scriptures and Isaiah 40, 30, 31, you've heard this, came to mind. I I didn't know I knew it, never knew I memorized it, but God kept impressing by the Spirit this word on my heart. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men shall utterly fall. I'm 22 years old. I've been wrestling with God since I was 20. And next week I'm going to tell you what really happened years earlier than that. Something I've actually never spoken of publicly in in the way I'm going to share next week. But something I feel that God's compelling me to tell you in my teenage years, not bad, but how God worked in my heart and I ran and ran and ran. I say I ran for two, I ran longer than that. But the reality is, I, I, I start saying this verse, you grow tired and weary, young men shall utterly fall, but they that wait on the Lord, wait on the Lord. It could be translated trust or hope, but its best translation is wait. God, I've been waiting for these two years, not knowing what I'm supposed to do. Wait on the Lord. You will renew your strength. Or he will renew your strength. You will mount up with wings as eagles. You will run and not grow weary. You will walk and not faint. And I'm saying this over and over and over and over, surrendering in that moment. And I still to this day think, God, why would you call somebody like me? But maybe, maybe God is calling somebody like you. And those who struggle with God's calling of certain people to do certain things should remember that ultimately the The blessing of the call is dependent on God's sovereign initiative, not the worthiness of the candidate being called. 
He chose creation over chaos. God chose to create mankind, not machines. He established a divine human partnership, not a divine dictatorship. God works through people. God worked through Abram, who was all messed up in a lot of ways, but God worked through him. And if God can work through him, maybe God can work through me, and God can work through you. And ultimately, we too receive the same undeserved blessings, the mercy through Christ and the genealogy explained in chapter 11 all the way through the end from 10 to 32, all of that genealogy, many of those names are repeated in Luke chapter 3. You know why? Luke says it's way back there with Father Abraham, way back there that I promised you that the world could be blessed through this one, way back there. And I would like to think maybe God could you bless Someone, as long as I am called to point them back to the one, could you bless someone even through a guy like me who doesn't deserve the chance, who will never deserve the chance, but who's called anyway? All the way back to the heels of one of the greatest rebellions in human history, Babel, God was planning to send his son because God loves sinners and longs to save them. God's blessings often come through unlikely people and in seemingly impossible circumstances. Second truth I want you to see, though, is God's blessings for many often come through the obedience of one. Maybe sometimes the obedience of a few, but often God uses just one. Think about what he says. He said to Abram, specifically, one man. We don't get his brother Nahor. We don't get his nephew Lot. We get Abram. Get out of your country from your family and your father's house to a land I will show you. Do you see the I wills? I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will do all of these things. Bless those who bless. Curse those who curse. I will. I will. I will from the lips and the very heart of God. So powerful. The man who is to be a great nation couldn't even father a single child. His wife was barren. What was he to do? Well, he would remember this guy. He gets ahead of God, and in his getting ahead of God, he births a whole different nation, and that creates tensions to this day. There are issues in the world to this day because Abram got ahead of God. But God gave him everything he needed to respond. He didn't give him all the details, but he said, as you go, while you're moving, I'll show you where to go. I'll show you what to do. We had already got a precursor that it would likely be Canaan, the land of Ham's descendants. Remember, Ham had Canaan, and the land was called the Canaanite land. And God promised to show him. It was Friday, June the 19th, 1998. A day I'll always remember, Friday driving behind that bus. I had to learn some stuff for a wedding. I was playing and singing that weekend, and I was exhausted. But God kept reminding me about the eagle, and God kept reminding me that even though we stumble and fall, and we we do it in many ways that God could raise up even one like me. And through music and through a lot of things, I'll share one of these days, maybe with the whole story. I finally surrendered to that call. I didn't know what it looked like. I was scared to death to come home and tell my wife. Not because she was godly enough, she was going to be fine, but I had to know it's God calling her too because I don't think God ever calls a man who is married without also putting a call on her life. Not the call of pastor, but a call. The call to pastor's wife is a huge thing. I was scared to death to sit down with my father and my mother. They became incredibly supportive immediately upon hearing when the time was right, but I, 
I didn't know the details. In fact, if you had said, Bobby, June 19th, you said yes to God. You're going to surrender to follow whatever God has for you vocationally. That means by the way I live my life. I'm going to live by the gospel. What will it be? Well, if it made the list at all, speaking or preaching would have been at the bottom. Being a senior pastor wouldn't have been on the list. I can guarantee you it wouldn't have been on the list. It would have been the last thing in my mind, in my heart. But all I could say was, God, here it is. I sign over my life. Here's, here's all I've got. All I've got is me. I don't have the theological knowledge. I don't have the spotless past. I don't have much good at all. But all i got is me. It's all I can give you. I think God said it's enough. Because I can talk through the donkey. You're going to be all right. And people had been pouring into my life. A small group of people in our wonderful church that we had gotten into that basically my wife said, if you're going to be with me, you're going to go to church. I said, yes, ma'am. Thank you. And um, without the Lord's Spirit telling me scripture that I didn't even know I knew. That's why it's important to read your Bible. I didn't even know it was hidden in my heart. I didn't even know it was there. God won that wrestling match between me and all the, the doubt that the enemy was bringing and God's blessings for many often come through the obedience of one and I think that I look at my children now and I look at my grandchildren I think because Cindy Lewis was obedient because Cindy Lewis said this is who I am and I don't compromise who I am and if you want to be part of my world this is a foundational part of my world because she didn't compromise God drew me back to himself and when God drew me back to himself, he allowed us to be a Christian husband and wife, mother and father who began to pour Jesus into Heather and then Holly and then Hannah and then little Bobby. And now they all love the Lord and they all serve the Lord. And I believe with all of my heart that Lucy's going to trust Jesus one day when she's old enough to understand him and receive him. I believe that Sophia's going to do like, I believe that God's building a legacy. But the opposite may be true. You ever been on a sports team and one of your buddies does something goofy or you do something stupid and the coach makes you all run laps for it? I did that. I mean, I wasn't the goofy kid. I ran laps for the other guy. I never messed up in this. No, I'm kidding. I, I was the kid that we were running for sometimes. You know, a drunk driver can change a family's world and all the extended family. How about the mass shootings? How about one gunman? How about 9-11? For blessings or for cursings? For good or for evil? You can have influence. You will have influence. You may think you're neutral, but you're always leading people one side or the other. You're not really neutral. I think about a man that's made a huge impact. He made an impact on my life. I sat down at a table with him 20 years ago. He poured into me. We had lunch together at a conference in Charlotte. I thought it was a huge conference. It was a tiny conference. And I got to sit beside of him and listen to his heart. And he poured into this young preacher. Dr. Charles Stanley is in the arms of Jesus today. Dr. Stanley is with the Lord. But you know, he didn't get cute. He'd, and, and I know you can say what you will. Well, he had a divorce. and there's a, God used that man. Okay? God used that man, and he never got cute, and he never got trendy. He stood week after week, year after year, decade after decade, thus saith the Lord. And he preached the truth, and he's literally touched millions in touch. He's touched millions around the world from Atlanta, Georgia. And I'll tell you guys, through one person... God can make a huge difference. Romans 5, 18 and 19. Therefore, through one man's offense, Adam, 
Judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation. But even through one man's righteous act, the God-man, Jesus, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. For by one man's disobedience, we were made sinners. So by one man's obedience, we will be made righteous. See, through Adam, we all died. But through Christ, we can all be made alive. Ur was a well-developed, educationally sound place. It was crazy when God was calling Abram away from Ur, or even Haran, where he was temporarily. Even that was much better at the time than Canaan, archaeologists tell us. And I know if God told me, hey, get up, go, leave your family, leave your place. I really did sense that call in 2013 and surrendered to it in 14 when God took us away from family to Florida. But I realized that God was calling us back and God was calling us to do Uh, something here in East Tennessee, it's been nearly five years ago that that conversation started. It's hard to believe. But I know what I would have done if I had been in Abram's sandals. After hearing that, I would have said, God, can I give you a counterproposal? Can I maybe ask you to do this instead of that? I promise you, and I don't mean to hurt anybody's feelings if you're listening from our first church. We loved our first church. We were there 11 years But the night we went to our first church, some of the pastors know this story. We drove in the parking lot, we drove through it, and I went back to the main road. And Cindy said, where are you going? I said, I'm going home. Deer and turkey don't need Jesus. Nobody lives out here. There's no way that God's going to bring us here. And I'm a country, country, country boy. I like the country. But if I'm going to be a pastor, I want people to pastor. Not deer and turkeys. They won't survive. And my wife said, you're going to turn this car around. You told people you were coming to meet them tonight. You're going to meet them. And I said, yes, ma'am. And she was right. And the reality is that I had to learn that, you know what? God can do great things wherever he wants to do great things, through whoever he chooses to use. And I'm glad Abram didn't stop listening after verse 1. God called me there, and God gave us an incredible 11-year season of ministry there. But I would tell you, obedience to God always arises out of trust in God. And we choose to obey. You're making a choice every time. We choose to obey because we truly believe that our Father knows best. A little reference for you. For your TV buffs. The call of God inevitably leaves the recipient of that call with a choice, right? The choice is hear and obey, stay in Ur with its refinements, or go to Canaan with its primitive culture. The choice is obey or disobey, trust or distrust. And matters of faith and obedience haven't changed since the time of Abram, guys. I know it was many thousands of years ago, but nothing's fundamentally changed about this. Abram cast a shadow over the entire Old and New Testaments that comes all the way to our lives today. But when God said to Abram, all the families of the earth will be blessed in you, buddy, in you. He could not have possibly known all that meant. But we know what it means. He would birth not only the Jewish nation, but from the Jews he would birth the Christian world. Because Jesus, guys, don't miss this, was and is a Jew. You can try to make him white and slim up his nose and give him blue eyes all you want. That's not the Jesus of the Bible. The Jesus of the Bible is a Jewish man in a Jewish world and Jewish culture through the line of Abram. 
God would bless us all and sprinkle many nations, Isaiah 52, 52, 15, and he would make those of every tribe, tongue, people, and nation part of the family, Revelation 7, 9. And after the muddy waters of human sin that necessitated the flood and the confusion of human pride that characterized the Tower of Babel, God still chose to bless the world through one man and one man that was not perfect. He had a lot of faults. He would do some crazy, goofy things. And yet God used him. And here among Sarah's boxes and Abram's moving van is another reminder that all the law and the prophets and everything in the Bible points us right back to the Lord Jesus Christ. It all comes back to the Son of God. God's blessings often come through unlikely people and impossible circumstances. And his blessings for many often come through the obedience of one. God so powerfully used Isaiah 40 in my life that day and every day since that eagles have been something I've always really uh, appreciated. In my office, I have a number of pictures, um, painting, sculpture. And in the Holy Land on this last trip, in the shop of one of our olive wood um, dealers, he, uh, he saw me looking at this, which was way more money than I could afford because these hand-carved pieces are extraordinarily expensive. It's one piece of olive wood from here up. And even you can see the coloring variation, but that's the artist, the carving artist, um, using the natural colors of the wood to make that look like an American bald eagle. So it's one piece from the, pla- from the plate up, and it's unbelievably intricate. If you could see it and hold it. It's just an incredible piece, and it gives me great joy. It really gives me comfort. I see it often where I have a special shelf of Holy Land items in my office. I have the other eagles that I look at frequently as a reminder. And if I told you today, if you'll hold this olive wood from the Holy Land and you'll just take this in, you will get peace, and you'll get contentment, and you'll get joy. And then I said, don't just take my word for it. And I brought up a line of people that testified one after the other. When I hold the the Holy Land Eagle, God gives me blessing and peace and joy. You would be skeptical at first, but the more people that came across and testified, you might begin to think, is there something to that? Now, wait a minute. Hey, hey, preacher, leave that thing on the edge of the stage. I might just come up and give a little rub just to see if I can get some of that blessing, that good juju on me, right? Some of y'all would absolutely try to come up and receive the blessing. If you heard enough testimony, enough valid testimony that the eagle brings peace and joy and comfort and strength, and if you'll just take it in, just hold it, receive it, But I would tell you this, that's foolishness, but I am standing before you to give testimony that I have received one who has given comfort and peace and joy. It's not tied to any circumstance. He's giving blessing upon blessing. And I have received him in and he is as close as my right hand. And if you will by faith receive him into your life today, I and billions of people in a line with me will tell you, you can have joy, you can have peace, you can have comfort, you can have life that lasts now and forever. And it's not the eagle, it's the one who made the eagle. It is the great master carpenter of all time, the Lord Jesus Christ, who came, yes, through the line of Abram, but even though Abraham was his father, 
he had to save his very father. And so I would tell you that if you will receive Christ in, you don't need religious trinkets. You don't need things from the Holy Land. You don't need the preacher's hanky unless you want to give a great offering for it. You don't need stuff like that. What you need is Jesus and Jesus alone. And if you will take him by faith today, if you will receive him, then I will guarantee you this. God will bless you. Stand with me this morning. Now look, you must trust the Lord and obey God's plan to receive God's blessing. God would raise up a man named Moses. Don't mess with my eagle. Okay, that's a very expensive gift. God would raise up a man named Moses and beside of him his brother Aaron would be the first high priest. And God would inspire Moses and he would say, Moses, I want you to tell Aaron, when you bless the people, my people, this is how you bless them. You've all heard this if you've been in church at all. Number six, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance to you and give you peace. In some weeks, every tradition, some traditions when they come, the priest, the father, the pastor will say such things. But I'm here to tell you today, the blessing you receive doesn't come from my hand. It doesn't even come from the what we call ironic blessing. The blessing you receive today will come by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone. If you will trust him and reach out, no different than if I said, take this eagle. And if you will, by faith, reach out and receive what God has done for you in Christ, who died for you, was buried, and raised the third day by the power of God. If you will receive that gift, you will be a blessed person. I didn't tell you it will all be easy and perfect. But you will walk in the blessing of God today. And you will enjoy the favor and blessings of God forever. So if you need to give your life to him. Today is the day of your salvation. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I'm so very grateful for the privilege to teach and preach and to stand on your word, to proclaim your truth to a world that desperately needs it. I know many here today, probably many watching, are already brothers and sisters in Christ. For those of us who are saved, I pray this would be a moment of gratitude, a moment to say thank you for your many blessings. I could try to count them one by one. I could try to name the many things you've done, but God, I would never have enough time, never have enough breath to praise you for all the blessings. And we don't just use the word flippantly. We don't use it in a silly sense. We do believe that we are blessed because of you. And God, I pray that for those who don't know you yet, for those who are teetering on the brink of faith, that today would be the very day they would come, take a pastor, counselor by the hand, that they would nail it down. They'd ha they don't even have to know what to say. They just need to come. They need to reach out and receive by faith. People around the world, if I tried to convince them of the silly properties of healing in that eagle, some would believe it. But we don't need that eagle. We need the one that formed and fashioned that eagle in glory. The one who is carving our own lives right now. The one is the great potter who is shaping us. And sometimes as the clay, we don't like it when he pokes us in a certain spot. And yet he's doing it for our good and his glory. And so God, be the potter and let us be the clay. Let us surrender to your loving hands. Let us respond to your call. And if there's anybody here today with a burden, with a challenge, let them come and lay it down. 
not take it home with them when they go. Let them trust that you are the God of the impossible. Broken relationships, shattered dreams. You are the great mender and restorer. So move us now in our final minutes together. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Would you come and lay it before the Lord?